Verse 17, we'll start, we'll read down to verse 21, Acts 17, Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Circle that word manner. What kind of life I lived there with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations. You know, the Christian's life is not a lot of happy clappy. It's a lot of tears and temptations. Which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But have showed you. <clears throat> and have taught you publicly. And from house to house testifying both to the Jews. And also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now. Paul is headed back to Jerusalem before he plans to travel to Rome. He has spent years traveling. Now as a new man, he got saved in Acts chapter 9, and he has spent years traveling through modern-day Turkey and all over Greece, telling everyone who would listen that there's a God they don't know. And that that God stepped out of heaven and became a man and lived the only perfect life and then that man allowed sinful men, politicians and religious alike, to mock him and spit on him and to beat him and to whip him until he was unrecognizable. And then they nailed him to a cross and left him to die. But Paul said there was more to that story. He said that man named Jesus of Nazareth rose up again from the grave three days later, just as was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And that man, Jesus Christ, now calls all men everywhere to repent and turn from their sins and follow him. If they want to miss the coming wrath of God Almighty. Now that was good news to people that he talked to throughout Turkey and southern Europe there. Tens of thousands of people responded, got saved, got converted. Hundreds and hundreds of churches were started. People all over southern Europe spoke of nothing else besides did you hear you must be born again have you heard jesus this this of nazareth boy over there in jerusalem was crucified and yet is alive again so he stops at a a, a port town called Miletus near ephesus there and have you ever picked up a map of modern turkey it's on the far west corner there where ephesus was a book in the new testament is is all about what Paul wrote to those Christians there called the book of, Ephes uh, of Ephesians. And he calls for the elders, <clears throat> uh, the pastors of the house churches in the city of Ephesus to meet with him. Look again in verse, um, uh, let me see, verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. And that's where he begins to pour out his heart to pastors. I have to read it again. Listen to him speak. He says, and when they were come to him, he said to them, ye know, you know me. This wasn't hidden. This is not a, a, a two-tier, my life and your life. I've lived among you. You've seen me. You've known from the very first day that I came into Asia. After what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. You know where humility matters most? In how you think. See, how you see people and what you think of people, that's where humility is really evident. With all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait 
of the Jews. Paul reminds him of his example of life. He says, you know what I've been? I've been a living example. I, I like YouTube. It's kind of cute. There's, there's nothing you can't find on YouTube. Uh, you want to find out how to, you know, how to take off a, a lug nut on the wheel on your car? Type, uh, type in how to take off a lug nut on the wheel of your car. There's 4,700 YouTubes about it. But a YouTube is two-dimensional. A book is two-dimensional. I need somebody to show me. I need an example of what does, what does this life that Paul is talking about look like? And Paul lived that life in front of them. He said, I've lived an open and a well-known life. I have no skeletons in my closet. I have no dark secret sins, no facade that I keep up. I just live a consistent servant life, serving first the Lord Jesus and everybody I meet. But he mentions in verse 20, he says there's a fourth life focus, and that's teaching. Verse 20, he says, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's he doing? Why is he going through all of this with them? Because he expects them now to carry on the work. He has spent three years just in this one church, and he never spent three years anywhere. He would always spend maybe six months, and then he would move on. There was one town he was in. It was called Thessalonica. He spent three weeks there. And a church was started, and two letters in the New Testament were written to them, the church of Thessalonians. But here he spent three years with them, and he's telling them, guys, this is the last time I'll see you. Carry on. Do the ministry. But you had me as your example. You've seen me. You know me. You know what I said. Now keep it up. Keep doing it. Stay only with the Bible. Don't go with all the wind of new doctrines that constantly catch people's fancy because there are wolves circling Paul says, I've watched you and I've protected you. I've taught you, but now I'm leaving and now wolves want in. So this morning, let's listen to Paul as he describes how these pastors are supposed to feed people with the absolute truths of just the Bible. Did you know this Bible is is all we need? I love science. I have two dozen science books. Most of them are about two inches thick dealing with biology um, universe, dealing with um, uh, all kinds of different astronomy, all different kinds of science. I love science. I learn a lot from science. But the one book I need is here in our hands. It's the Bible. And Paul, when you, when you have a pastor, Paul is saying, make sure that that's what you use. Don't, don't worry about all the things that everybody's talking about of the day and all the politics and all the social justice things. Stick with the Bible, because most churches, if you go into most churches today, it is a sugar sweet candy thought you're going to get. You're not going to get the Bible. What we need is thus saith the Lord. So Paul picks up there in verse 20 now. And Paul describes his teaching life. I've read it a couple of times now, but I want you to see Paul's teaching life in verse 20. How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Do you know teaching is not the most popular 
job. Not you don't make a lot of money teaching. It's not a not a money making career normally, uh, but it's what God po- called Paul to do. And he says that he kept nothing back that was profitable unto them. Paul says, I kept, I gave you everything I had and everything I knew. I never hesitated to say what the Bible said <clears throat> when it was needed to be said. I never held anything back that was important for you to know and to believe. <laughs> He's not like the used car salesman. You, know, you go looking for a car at a used car slot. They are not going to tell you everything, are they? That's what we call, that's what we say, they hold some stuff back. And that was not Paul. He's not like some doctors who won't tell you straight up what's wrong with you. I don't want a nice, I I like doctors to be compassionate. But I don't want a a doctor who won't tell me straight up what's wrong, amen? I want to know what's wrong with me. Paul never worried about whether people liked what he taught. He never gave them anything. He never, I'm sorry, he just gave them everything that would benefit them. You know, I've had a steak dinner with mashed potatoes. Oh, boy. And Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts now. But a long time ago, the way my mom used to make them, they were the worst thing ever imagined. And I told my wife when we got married, she says, do you like Brussels sprouts? And I went, no. And she said, well, what if I fix them? I'll eat them. I won't like them. <laughs> Here's the truth. You know, great, nice, big, thick steak dinner, mashed potatoes or chunky potatoes, whatever you want. And sometimes in come the Brussels sprouts. Why would mom not hold back the Brussels sprouts? They're good for you, amen. And why would the pastor not skip over some things in the Bible that are hard to be understood, that are hard to take, because they're good for you, amen? Paul says, I didn't hold back. I gave you what was necessary, what was right for you to grow and to mature and to be right with God, to get saved, to fear God and to love God. <clears throat> he never shunned to declare the whole counsel of God even. Look down to verse 27. Acts 20, 27. For I have not shunned. I wasn't cautious. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That's a lot of counsel. That's a lot of wisdom. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, all the Old Testament books and the New Testament. I know some people who say, I don't like the Old Testament. Get into it. <clears throat> that's the Brussels sprouts, amen? You'll learn to love it because that's all Jesus quoted from. That's all he, he taught from. I love the New Testament. It's like turning the light on in a dark room. But I need the Old Testament. I need the understanding of the background of all of these great truths that are in the New Testament. If you go to a church that only talks to you about loving one another, if you go to a church where it's all just be nice and be kind, you're missing 99.999% of the whole meal that God gave us in the Bible. That means preaching on hell, telling people they've got to be born again. This is not something you can just play with. Your soul is in the balance. He goes on and he says, I've showed you. Didn't just talk about things, but I showed what a Christian looks like, what a Christian acts like, what they feel like, what they live like. Paul lived the, pre, the, the, the truths that he preached and he taught. And wouldn't you expect that of a pastor? Why would you want a pastor who, or a Sunday school teacher or the, that told people what to do, but they themselves wouldn't do it? 
You imagine a Sunday school teacher sitting down and smoking a cigarette. Now, don't you ever smoke. That doesn't go very far, does it? See, you need somebody who's living what they're preaching, living what they believe. They showed, he says, I've showed you. I remember as a kid, uh, I do quite remember times where my mom was very frustrated with me. There were a lot of times she was very frustrated. But there was one of them where she would say, I, you're not going out to play. I know you just come home from school. You're cleaning your room. Now, I was just coming home from <clears throat> first class and and. I'm supposed to clean up my room. So I would go and I'd sit in there and I'd kind of just shove stuff around. And my mom would have to come in and guess what she would do? She would have to show me how to clean my room. And time after time, she would get down on her knees and pick up the toys, put them in the boxes, put them under the bed. And I said, oh, that's what that's for. <laughs> and she showed me. And we need that. And if there's anything you understand, YouTube church doesn't go very far because you need people. You need to see Christians in, in action. You need to see three-dimensional lives. He showed them and he taught them. Didn't lecture them with boring monotones. He engaged the hearers. He challenged people, explained things, answering questions. You know, uh, every, every teacher I ever sat under, expected me not to do my own thing. Here's a teacher saying, two plus two equals, uh, today, is it five? Sure, Johnny, let's make it five today. That's not what Paul did. Paul said, these are absolute truths from the word of God, no debate. Let me show you why. Paul said, I've showed you and I've taught you where life begins. Now, this is where the message hits the road here. Look in verse 21. Testifying. This is a heart word. This is him saying, this is, this, is the whole, this is the main thing. You ever heard anybody say, keep the main thing the main thing? Well, here it is. Testifying, both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Two things, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This was Paul's message to everybody whether you're religiously lost or whether you're atheistically lost. No matter who you are, Jew, Greek, male, female, tradesman or rocket scientist, there are two things that Paul preached to, to, uh, to point out where life begins. No matter who you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how low, how far away you may be, repentance toward God so that you can have faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ or else people die in their sins. First, you need to repent. That verse there, repentance toward God, is a command. You know, it's throughout the Bible. Go back to Acts 2. Go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts 2, 38. And Acts 2, 38, then Peter said unto them, what's the word? There it is. Repent, and then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's on the day of Pentecost. Go to chapter 3 and verse 19. <clears throat> 319. Here's Peter preaching again. What's the first word? Repent. Repent, Aiden. Yeah. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted. Somebody says, don't try and convert me. God wants to. I can't convert you. 
But you can be converted through repentance and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Look into the second coming of Christ. Look at chapter 11 and verse 18, still in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 18. Acts 11, 18. They're all excited because a bunch of Gentiles were getting saved. The Jews had never conceived that Gentiles would ever want to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Acts eleven eighteen. when they heard these things, they held their peace. They stopped arguing and they glorified God saying that God also to the Gentiles hath granted repentance unto life. Chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. <clears throat> Acts 17 verse 30. Acts 17 and verse 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to what? Do you know why most people are hard? Why they're stubborn still? Why they never change? Do you know the foundation, the soil of change? It's not the source of change. It is the soil of change. The reason why most people, they come into church and it's like a revolving door. They sit there and they may have the hardest preaching, the strongest preaching, but they resist the, the command to humble themselves and to go, you win. That book is right. I'm wrong. God, you're right. Repentance is missing. And yet it is the most important attitude. You have two people and they can't get along. Somebody's got to say, sorry if not both of them, amen? Until that moment, you ever made somebody, now shake hands. And there's no change of heart because there's no repentance. God commands every man, everywhere to repent. And back to chapter 20 now, in verse 21. <clears throat> Acts 20, 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God. That's where it starts. He told pagan Gentiles to repent, and he told ultra-religious, zealous Jews that they needed to repent towards God too. John the Baptist had been doing that for years, well, almost a year, uh, uh, preaching and commanding Israel to repent. Look at chapter 26, still in your Bible, Acts chapter 26 and verse 19. Paul even emphasized it to the point that he expected the Jews to prove that they had repented. Uh, because it's so easy to fake it. You ever heard anybody through their teeth say, I'm sorry? Okay, please forgive me. <laughs> now you can say the words, but look at verse 19, 26, 19. <clears throat> Whereupon, O king, O king Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them after he got saved at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Now watch this. This is Paul talking about when he got saved, he went around and he told everybody how to get saved and he said that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet, fitting, appropriate for repentance. We need to be able to see that you mean business with God. So what does it mean to repent? 
It's an attitude of sorrow about your own sin. It's grief and being ashamed. And it, it, Listen, folks, we'll never have a revival and we will not have our families held together like they, like they need until grown men learn how to repent. Because what that young man in our home and what those young daughters pick up from our attitude is far worse than our words. And if they can sense that daddy's a humble man, mommy knows how to be sorry and knows how to walk with God and how to keep soft heart and be meek and quiet, that will transform a home. It means to have an attitude of sorrow about your own sin. It is a surrender to the rightness of God where you realize, God, I never realized I was fighting you. I thought I was just fighting my wife. <laughs> when you repent, you're turning your back on sin. Now, you're not stopping sinning. I mean, nobody can just switch off sin, switch off attitudes. But you can turn your back on it and say, I don't want to anymore. I can't seem to stop, but I want to stop. I want to be free. The Bible says turn from your wicked ways and turn to God. Repentance toward God. That's where you begin. And it's pretty hard, but if you because pride, but that next part is the clincher, and that's the good part. Go back to chapter 20. There in chapter 20, verse 21, repentance toward God and faith in one person, trust in one person, believing that that one, you know, salvation is so easy. You don't have to know a lot. You don't have to understand a lot. You just need to know one person. His name's Jesus Christ. Amen. You understand, <clears throat> if you can just focus and understand who he was, why he came, you're in. So, well, I don't understand about the Old Testament. I don't understand about the Red Sea. I don't understand about Egypt. I don't understand about the apocalypse. None of that matters. What matters is what Jesus did for you. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ is what saves. Don't waste your, your breath on Mary. Don't cry out to an angel. Don't look to Mother Teresa. The only faith that saves is a desperate cry to the name of Jesus Christ. It's the most powerful name in the universe. Do you know what happens when somebody hears the gospel and believes it? They accept their true condition, that they need it, that they are sinful and wretched and condemned and lost without hope. Do you know what happens when somebody <clears throat> believes the gospel? They'll cry out for Christ's help to escape the righteous judgment of God. And they'll find out there's a gift. It's called the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's forgiveness wrapped in Christ. Get him and you've got the whole package. And then if you believe the gospel, you'll get up and you'll start following Jesus for the rest of your life from that moment on. How could there be anything greater to preach how could there be a better life to live than a follower of Jesus Christ? That one person you're focusing, what is our main focus here? I'm glad you're here. I want to be a blessing to you. I'm glad you want to be a blessing to one another. But the reason why we came is Jesus Christ. That we would get so spiritually fed and charged up that all week long we would honor him with our words, with our life, with our thoughts, with our actions. Jesus is the center of everything now. And that becomes, move on to verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 22. <clears throat> and now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. That's kind of a 
That's a, a unique statement. He says, I don't know what's going to happen. Verse 23, save, except this, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, every place that he's gone, somebody's been telling him that bonds and afflictions are going to stick to me, are going to abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the, all the counsel of God. Now, from the moment that Paul got saved, he had a brand new purpose, didn't he? Before he got converted, you know what he was? He was a hunter-killer. He was a religious zealot that saw all other religions, all other people groups, anybody other opinions out there as somebody who was worthy of being persecuted and tormented and afflicted and punished and even murdered. Then he met Jesus. Wow, that changed. And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to go into the very people you had hunted and hurt. I want you to go love them. And then I want you to go to everybody you can meet and tell them that I want them. And they can be saved just like you. You'll be my example of how good I am to sinners. He had a new purpose in life. He had a calling. And you know what? If you've been saved, you do too. And he was bound to that calling. Look at verse 22 again. He says, now behold, I go bound in the Spirit. Uh, the Bible says that if you're saved, you're led of the Spirit, which means this. The Holy Spirit is another voice inside you. Uh, we know what our conscience is like, but we probably haven't heard our conscience in years <laughs> because we burn it out. We don't have conscience about what we say when we're in argument anymore. We don't have a conscience about what we watch on TV anymore. We don't have a conscience about what, what, we, what we allow ourselves to do. Then the Holy Spirit comes in, and he's a voice. And he says, uh-uh, Ledbetter, don't go that far. Stop right there. And the Bible says, as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You are led by the Spirit of God, but very few Christians are bound to that. They're not driven to do the will of God. Bound means committed, tied, glued to, stuck in, heavily motivated by the will of God itself. Uh, if you ever want to know what it's like being a pastor, let me tell you, it's this. You don't do anything because of the buzz. Because often there's not much buzz back. You do it because you're called to do it. Amen? Can you imagine a a first-year medical student getting to work in a hospital and in the A&E and somebody being brought in, brought out of a car wreck, and they're in, basically in pieces, and they're, they're, they're excited. They're going, I get to apply what I learned to this situation. And then they watch that, that, that broken body begin to heal and come back to life again and be able to go home after a few weeks or months or whatever. And they get excited. But six years later, and then comes another body. You know why they keep doing it? Because that's their life. That's what they feel like they're supposed to do. And the buzz is gone. But they're there because those people need them. Amen? And Paul says, I get to do ministry. 
but my joy is the call. I know what God asked me to do, and I love it, and I'm bound to it. You know, this woman here, her name is uh, Geraldine Byrne Nason. She's the Irish ambassador to the United Nations. Now, I give you one guess what her job is, okay? Only one guess. She's an ambassador for Ireland. Her job is to represent the Irish government, not her own opinions, right? She's not supposed to go in there and say, well, I think, or I would like, no, no, no. She's supposed to say, our government expects this. That's what she's supposed to do, right, ambassador? That's what you expect. She must represent her calling, and so must Christians, especially pastors. Elders in a church are supposed to represent our king. And it cost him. He says, none of these things move me. They don't, they don't discourage me. They don't cause me to hesitate and to quit. None of these things, physical chains, imprisonments, persecutions, afflictions. You know what an affliction is? That's where, that's health problems. That's financial problems. That's disasters in his life. Even being abandoned, Paul was abandoned by countless number of people that he had counted friends. He says, that won't move me. It's not going to stop me. None of those things will move me off course, Paul says, because he had one big goal to finish with joy. Do you notice that? Look there in verse 24 again. None of these things move me, neither I count I my life dear to myself. I don't care if I lose my life so that I might finish my course like a runner. I just want to finish my course with joy. And thank God that people want to finish. I, I read of a man, and I'm sorry I didn't bring it. I just thought about it, but it's a great illustration. Back in the 1980s, there was a, um, an Olympics, and a, a young man was, was in a, a, a race there, and he pulled a hamstring. He, some other race, some other runner came along. I wish I had the information, but uh, uh, another runner tripped him by accident. It was accident, whatever, and he nearly tumbled. But one of his legs, maybe the right back calf, boy, sprang, and he pulled a hamstring, and he was in agony, and he fell to the ground. But then he pushed himself up, and all the other runners passed the finish line. <clears throat> and he got up, and as he started to run again, the, 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 the coach there got up and said, no, no, get down. The stretcher's coming. And the guys came, tried to put on the stretcher. He says, no, I've got to finish, he said. And as he hobbled along, and men were alongside saying, let me help you. He said, no. His father, who was way up in the stand, climbed over everybody, came down, and got there. And as they tried to stop him, he says, I'm his dad. And he got down there and put his arm around his son and helped him finish that race. And it went down in history as a, a moment in Olympic history as a finisher. And you've got to sit in awe. We need that again. We've got so many quitters. We've got people who start well and they don't want to finish. And even those who finish, finish sour. They finish bitter. Married 62 years to the same woman, unfortunately. What? We need a generation to show this generation. We need a generation of Christians who want to finish with joy. They want to be at the end of their life and say, Woo, it was worth it. It was worth it all. Paul says, I just want to finish what God called me to do with joy. 
Did you notice verse 24? He, he goes on and he says, I've got this ministry which I've received, Lord Jesus, to testify, to tell everyone the gospel of the grace of God. Aren't you glad it doesn't say the gospel of the expectations of God? That'd be rough, amen? That's not good news. What does God expect? Perfection. <laughs> I'm doomed. But no, he said, I get to tell people about the grace of God, not expectations. The grace of God is what he did for you. If you just accept it as a gift, it will change your life. He was so burdened about the lost. Go to Romans. <clears throat> You're in Acts. Go to the right. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Paul went everywhere, started with his own people, the Jewish people, and he preached to people who'd never heard about the kingdom of God that would never end. He told them how to get saved and how to get into that kingdom. Chapter 10, but listen to him as he talks about his own people. Romans 10, 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? I want my people saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Oh, they're religious, but not according to knowledge. Oh, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness. Oh, they think they're so good. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that simply what? Isn't that awesome? Paul says, I get to tell people, I got to do. Man, if you just humble yourself and cry out to him and believe that he'll save you, he will. Then he gives a serious warning, verse 28. As we go in verse by verse, you say, what are you doing, Pastor? I'm just going verse by verse through here, getting down to the end of the chapter. Take heed, therefore, he's talking to the elders now, to the leaders of the churches. Take the heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Down there, uh, there in verse 28, Paul's telling them they've got to do what he's been doing. You cannot change the ministry, Paul's telling them. Just continue what I've been doing. Take heed. Be determined to feed the church of God. These are God's people. The people who gather here, I don't know if you're saved or lost, but God thinks you're infinitely of value. Now, being a church member, being in a church building doesn't make you a Christian. But I came here to feed those who are following Jesus. And if you're a visitor, you're welcome. Let me tell you, why don't you get in? Why don't you get all the way in and say, I'm just going to start following Jesus because this is what it's all about. I'm not called to entertain. I'm not called to make people happy or comfortable, but to feed. Whether it's a few or many. Do you know, we don't tell good jokes as pastors. We just tell good truths. Remember who the church actually belongs to. Did you notice that in verse 28? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. We'll talk about that word in a minute. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. They're not your people, he's saying. You're not my people. You're God's people. You're purchased. You're bought with a price, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians. Every believer who's been born again has discovered they were personally purchased. They were hand 
paid for at his own expense by the blood of Jesus Christ, paid in full. He says, uh, you pastors are overseers. You know what that means? That means you're actually in charge of feeding and protecting your flock. An overseer means you watch out for them. Can you imagine a foreman on the job and he's got all this equipment, got people coming in and he doesn't watch out and say, stand behind that line. Operate that machine according to this instruction here. Stay back from over there. That thing gets hot. That's an overseer. Amen. And if an overseer is not doing his job, people get hurt, don't they? And Paul says, remember, guys, you are overseers. You're supposed to watch for people and keep them protected. You're supposed to not take advantage of them, but sacrifice your life for them. Because they belong to God. Today, entire denominations are changing with the wind. When I was in Scotland a week ago, I found out that the, the Scottish General Assembly, founded by a guy named John Knox, breaking away from the Scottish church at that time, the Scottish General Assembly just two weeks ago voted to allow gay marriages to be, for, be, to be performed by their ministers in their churches. In that's the same denomination that fought under John Knox for the right to obey the Bible more than a king or a queen 400 years ago. And now they're fighting the very words of Scripture so they can obey their urges. That's how churches have changed. And Paul's pleading, don't you dare change. Feed them with the Word of God. Stay with the Word of God. Because real pastors, real servants of the Lord will feed the flock. You ever notice I don't psychoanalyze you. I'd be terrified if I did. Real pastors don't entertain. Real pastors put up, put up with the carnality and the complaining and even the backstabbing of people because we love people. If you ever attempt to, to pastor a class or a church or a flock, you know what you have to be prepared to do? Love them with all their warts. Pastor will help carry people's sorrows, share them as if they were their own, will sacrifice themselves, sacrifice their own money, sacrifice their own health and their time for others. And they'll do it because they believe with all their heart they're doing it as unto the Lord Jesus. So Paul says to those pastors, overseers, be on the lookout. Look in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock. Get the idea of a wolf. Normally, sheep are smart enough to notice a wolf and to run from it. But here, the grievous wolf is entering in and then devouring amongst them. Verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, of your own elders, of your own churches, from your own midst, of the people that you thought were so trustworthy, speaking perverse Things. You don't want to know what modern preachers are preaching in the other churches. If you want to be very saddened, just YouTube what these guys are bringing up in churches that are filthy, ungodly, and in front of children. Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. Why? To draw disciples after them. Let's talk about those grievous wolves for a second there. After Paul leaves, he says there's a group of destroyers of the faith coming in, devouring wolves. I never have a 
problem with, with science and with people who teach evolution and all of these things. Those are easy things to answer. Those are easy things to confront. It's the religious liars that come in. And they sound so smooth talking. They sound so right. It would grieve you to know what people are into. You wonder, how am I going to get them out of that stuff? They creep in unawares. They put on a facade acting like they're religious. but They're not there to help anybody. They only want to take advantage of you and to sell a book to you and to get you to give them your money. And they don't spare the flock. They don't care how weak or how fragile the life is. They don't care about the sheep you're protecting. They don't want to feed them. They just want to twist them and turn them away. And it's throughout Christianity, folks. But grievous wolves are one thing, but among Christian men, perverted men are arising and taking power in churches. When I was in Scotland, mm, churches are discos now. Churches are libraries, coffee shops. I must have passed, just in Edinburgh alone, there were two mosques that had been Christian churches. Mosques now. The only person, now these guys want people to follow them, whereas I think, don't try to follow Pastor Ledbetter. All right? I've, tried to, I've tried to give you a life <laughs> to show you how to live, but don't follow me, follow Jesus Christ. If you're so stuck on some preacher on YouTube, you're stuck in the wrong guy. Follow Jesus Christ. Because modern ministers seek to have followers of them, seek to have their viewer numbers go up, seek to have their, their um, uh, likes in the millions. All they are full of their pet theories and their pet doctrines. And Paul wept as he thought about all the people he had invested his time in for three years. He says, from yourselves will come people who will tear apart the church. Paul warned them. Go to Galatians. You're in Acts. Go to Galatians to the right. We'll come back to Acts uh, in just a moment and finish up. Galatians chapter 1 in verse 6. Paul warned them for three years of heresies and arrogant teachers and false doctrines and cults trying to sneak in and take over Christianity. And it was happening. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel. I'm amazed that ye Christians are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. As if there are more than one, which is not another. There be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or even an angel from heaven, say, I saw an angel that had inside of my bed last night. Paul says, doesn't matter if an angel from heaven, if they preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, being Paul and John and Peter, <clears throat> let him be damned. Let him be accursed. Because they're perverting the gospel. Now back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. This is Paul's farewell. This is Paul saying, guys, I got to go on. I'm worried about you. I'm worried that among you would come people who would destroy what Christ has been building in this church. But he has to let them go. And so verse 32, he lets them go. Verse 32, he says, and now, brethren, I commend you to God. I release you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. 
I'm going to put you in God's care. It's kind of like when a dad walks down an aisle. <clears throat> He's got his daughter there. He's walking that daughter down the aisle. You know what he's doing? He's coming to a man he hopes he trusts. And he lets go of that daughter and he says, I put her in your care now. Gentlemen, that's serious, isn't it? And that's what Paul is doing, saying, I can't protect you anymore. I can't be there anymore. I can't watch over you anymore. You guys watch out for what's happening. You guys be on guard and be careful of what new wind of doctrine is going around. And be careful about what people are, are wanting you to preach. Just preach the word. Take care of my church. Paul let go of these men and those Christians and all of those churches, and he knew that they would be taken care of because he made sure, he says, make sure you go by the Bible. This single book that we're reading through right now is sufficient to tell you about God and heaven and hell, able to tell you all about your soul, Tells you about the devil, the past, the future, the Antichrist. Tells you about the coming one world government, which we're almost at. The second coming of Jesus Christ. This is an awesome book. And it's sufficient. It will feed your soul. Some of you are starving. Because it's been months before you sat, since you last sat down and just read. This is dinner, folks. There's a part of you, body, soul, and spirit... And there's a part of you that's starving because you're not feeding it. And it will build your faith. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to have strong faith? The book will do it. I shouldn't have to teach you everything. As a matter of fact, I sometimes sit back and go, like I'm looking at next year. What are we going to do? What are we going to focus on? What book are we going to study? What, what important things do I need to teach people? And I sit back and I go, there's too much. So I put it back on you. Be reading your Bible. Learning on your own. I can't teach you everything. You understand? Feed yourself. And it'll give you a reward in heaven, unlike anything you could ever imagine. <clears throat> he says, able to give you a reward, an inheritance among all them that are already sanctified in heaven. Don't be a fool and neglect learning and living by this book. Sometimes when you guys go out of here and it's finished with the Sunday, I, I wonder if anybody's going to live it now. They're going to look to it and lean upon it day after day. That's what you need to do. Look at verse 33. He throws this into them. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yet yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, these hands, his own hands, and to them that are with me, I worked to take care of people instead of them taking care of me. Verse 35. I've showed you all things that's so laboring you ought to support the weak, take care of people who can't work, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Next time you get somebody on, <coughs> on the God channel saying, uh, I need you to make a $1,000 donation. Mm -hmm, I want to see you give, bud. <laughs> it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know what Paul did? He, he never used religion for his own benefit, unlike many ministers today. He actually never had any concern for money. If he didn't have any money, you know what he did? He worked a job. He was a tent maker. And then the extra money that he had left over, he always gave away to people in need. That was Paul's manner of life. 
That was his way of living, and it needs to be ours too. Gentlemen, stop living on social welfare and get a job. Why? So that you can give away your money to people who need it really. Amen. Amen. Paul lived to give. Verse 36, he says goodbye. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship where he was headed off. This was hard. Can you imagine what it would be like for the Apostle Paul to be around? I mean, there's no question he couldn't answer. It would have been awesome to listen to him or maybe Peter or James or John. But at any moment, they might have to leave and move on. And it happens. And by the way, it will happen with me one day. I won't be able to preach anymore. Or the Lord will move me on to some other place. Who's going to take this work serious enough to keep it going right and keep staying right? We need elders. We need men who know this book and know what God's call is. Because I'm not immortal. Paul says goodbye. So what kind of life should we be living? Paul just spent a whole chapter saying, you know me. You know my manner of life. You know what I've done. I need you to live that same way. I need you to follow the pattern. So what kind of life should we be living? Gentlemen, <clears throat> churches don't need Apostle Paul's. Don't try to be Pastor Ledbetter. Be mature. Grow up. Be hardworking, stable, godly men, gentlemen. Be men who are trustworthy. Be real. Be humble. Men who are loyal to one person, Jesus Christ, and obedient to his words. Men who sense the call to serve the Lord Jesus and serve people. If you're saved, gentlemen, you need to be growing, maturing, living up to that name, Christ follower. Secondly, ladies, don't be men. <laughs> this generation needs godly men. Please help men be men. There's so many emphasis on equal rights and equality among the sec sexes. You know what this generation needs? Men. They need men who will start living selfless, godly, holy, committed, mature lives for Jesus Christ. So pray for men. We've had at least Two generations, at least 50 years of de-emphasizing manhood and emphasizing feminism. And the results are men are timid. They're unable to be committed. They're unable to make a decision. They can't raise their voice above a whisper. And yet women can scream and yell and punch their lights out. I think we've got it out of balance. Ladies, pray for men. Pray for the men in this church. Pray for your man. Pray for your husband. Pray for your dad, for your grandfather. Pray for your sons that they realize it's important for us. There are wolves outside and there are perverts inside that we need to be ready for and can work out and get out and keep things right and pure in home, in a church, in a society. And let me tell you the gospel one more time. I told you the story at the beginning, but let me say it again. The God you do not know has stepped out of heaven and became a man. He lived the only perfect life without any sin at all. And then he allowed sinful men 
both politicians and religious people, to mock him and spit on him and to beat him and to whip him until he was unrecognizable. And then they nailed him to a cross and left him to die under the wrath of God. But aren't you glad there's more to that story? Because that man named Jesus of Nazareth rose up again from the grave three days later, just as was prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament. And he now calls all men everywhere to repent, turn from their sins, and have faith in him and follow him. If you want to miss the coming wrath of God Almighty and be saved, that's how you do it. You humble yourself in the presence of God. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about anybody else. When we pray in just a moment, why don't you talk to God and say, God, it's hard for me to humble myself, but evidently you can't save a proud man. And I want you to save me. That'll work. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you that we got to hear Paul's heart. Sometimes we go through Scripture, we're looking in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus' heart. I think they're the same. I found them to be perfectly in, in unison, doing the will of God from the heart for others, preaching the same gospel and giving their lives so that others could hear. But that's not where it's supposed to end. Paul's not supposed to be saying goodbye and it's over. No. Things go on. Things grow. Things, things expand. And Europe got the gospel because people took this final farewell as a challenge to follow the pattern. Lord, here we are 2,000 years later. We need to keep following that pattern. Would you bless our hearing today, what we've heard? And I pray more than anything for the men in this church, God. I, I thank you for every man and woman, young and old, every person's of value, but a church needs men. Our society needs godly men. I pray that we get some here today to decide they're going to get saved and they're going to be serious about living for you. And if they are saved, Maybe they've been backslid for a little bit too long. I pray that decide, you know what, Lord, I've been too lax, too lazy, too worldly. Help me, Lord, to take it seriously. The wolves are tearing up my family. They're tearing up, tearing into other believers. Help me, Lord. Help me take it so serious that I get into involved in a ministry. I start serving. And I start standing for you. And if there's anybody who's not saved, I pray they stay after. Come talk to me. Don't let them go home lost in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's